Good to see you today. Good looking group. Welcome to those who are joining us live stream. If you are a guest today, we're in the midst of a May sermon series entitled In Game, based on the book of Revelation. It's just four messages, so we're kind of hitting the highlights. There's an Avengers movie out right now, Avengers Endgame, as well. Uh, how long is that movie? I haven't seen it yet. How long? Three hours, that's right. In honor of Avengers Endgame, I'm going to preach for three hours this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But it is a Mother's Day, and in honor of Mother's Day, I've entitled this lesson, The Mother of All Endgames. Now, last Sunday, we were talking about uh, the endgame has begun. This is God's endgame has begun, and we know that because Satan is bound, because the first resurrection has occurred, and because we are in the millennium, a thousand-year reign of Christ, symbolic number of a long period of time. We've been in the millennium of Jesus reigning in our hearts for over 2,000 years now. But today we're continuing with the mother of all in-games. And why do you say that, Steve? Why, do you, why would you refer to it as the mother of all in-games? Well, we're doing our scripture work in Revelation chapter 12, and what's described there, there are five features that make this the mother of all in-games. And the interesting thing is, you're right in the middle of it. You and I, we are in feature number four. So just hold on until we get there. But let's get started this morning. Why is this the mother of all in games in Revelation chapter 12? Well, first of all, and by the way, I'm using mother of in its idiomatic sense as the greatest of, the most significant of. We've got the mother of all mothers, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, the moon beneath her feet, and the crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. So you got a mother described here right off the bat. She's got this amazing costume on. She's dressed in the sun and the moon and the stars. I mean, her costume makes Lady Gaga's costumes look frumpy by comparison. And obviously, God is communicating the significance and import of this mother. Who is this mother? Most scholars believe that this mother is referring to the nation of Israel, because it was the, the, one of the primary purposes of the nation of Israel was to bring forth the Christ, to be the human ancestry of Christ. Paul writes in Romans 9, 5, from them, meaning Israel, is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who's God over all, forever praised. So uh, the, I agree with that identification. And regardless of what you believe, obviously God is honoring this mother. God holds mother and mothers in high esteem, honor your father and your mother. And if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us. So let's honor our mothers this morning, our mothers who are present, and our own mothers, and even of our mothers in heaven. We're going to honor our mothers with applause right now. Thank you, moms. <clears throat> Feature number two. This is the mother of all in games because now we have the mother of all sons described. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, who's the child? Well, we've already alluded to that. You know, this is the Christ child. He's the royal child. Everybody loves royalty, right? Everybody loves royal babies. Let me read to you a quote. This quote was in the news. It was made this past Wednesday. You see if you can identify who said this. Quote, this is definitely my first birth. It was amazing. I'm so incredibly proud of my wife. Every father and parent would say their baby is amazing, but this little thing is absolutely to die for, so I'm just over the moon. Who said that? Prince Harry. 
Prince Harry at the unveiling of Harry and Meghan Markle's baby. By the way, what did they name him? Uh, see, you all know we all love royal babies. Well, this is the royal baby to end all babies. Now, our kids are all great. Right now, we got the graduation parties going on. And we're celebrating the greatness and the wonder of our offspring and how accomplished they are and all their potential. They're wonderful. But your kids, my kids, even my grandkids have to take a back seat to this, the most amazing of all children, the mother of all sons right here. Okay, so it's the mother of all in-games. You got the mother of all mothers. You got the mother of all sons. Thirdly, we see the mother of all villains in this description. The mother of all villains. This one's even more villainous than Thanos. Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Now, here's the picture. So you got this huge red dragon, seven-headed dragon. He's vicious. He's mean. He's standing right in front of that woman waiting for her to give birth so he can devour the baby. Now, it's a picture, so don't get scared. It's just really a symbol. But the tail sweeps a third of the stars out of the sky. That's obviously not literal. I mean, one star, if it was swept down to earth, would destroy the earth. But it's communicating a picture, kind of like that little puppy that you bought, you thought would make such a great house pet, turned out to be a Labrador retriever, a grows out to be a 100-pound dog, and every time he wags his tail, he knocks a third of the knickknacks off your coffee table. Well, here you got this huge dragon. When his tail goes across the sky, he's wiping out stars left and right. Who is this dragon? Again, these identifications are not too hard. Are they? This, they you're right. Somebody said Satan. This dragon is Satan. In fact, he is identified as such just a little bit later on in the chapter. What does he have against the child? Why does he want to devour this baby? It all goes back to the beginning, doesn't it? Remember, in, uh, there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they only had the one rule to obey, just one rule. Just don't eat the forbidden fruit. Of course, what do they do? They eat the forbidden fruit. Thank you so much. We're all suffering as a result. And so here comes the cursing. Adam's cursed. Eve's cursed. The earth is cursed. And the serpent is cursed. And we have this in Genesis 3.15. Here is God cursing the serpent, and I will cause hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head. You will strike his heel. Revelation chapter 12 is based upon Genesis 3.15. All the characters are there, aren't they? You got the woman or the mother. You've got the serpent, the dragon. You got the offspring who is the Christ child. This is the first, what's called a messianic prophecy in the Bible. First one, messianic prophecy, Genesis 3.15, a prophecy about the coming Messiah. So Satan bruised Jesus' heel when he died on the cross, and Jesus crushed Satan's head when he resurrected from the grave. But on one level, when you read the Old Testament, that history there, what we are reading is the dragon attempting to prevent the birth of this child that he knows is going to be his doom. But because of the providential protection of God and sometimes the miraculous deliverance of God, that didn't happen. And so you have Joseph and Mary who give birth to a baby, and both Joseph and Mary are physical descendants of David, who was a descendant of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and on back to, to Adam and Eve. They give birth. And even then, Satan didn't give up, did he? And the wise men come to bring birthday presents to little Jesus, and they stop off in Jerusalem, and Herod says, 
when you find him, let me know where he is so I can come and worship him. But Herod didn't want to worship him, did he? He wanted to murder him. Once more, the dragon is trying to devour the child. But through the providential and miraculous protection of God, that did not happen. This is the mother of all end games. You've got the mother of all mothers, mother of all sons, mother of all villains. Now, I've said all of that just to get right here, number four. The mother of all battles. We have the mother of all battles. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9 and verse 17. And then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Okay, so now things that, events that happen on earth have a spiritual parallel. So this war taking place in heaven between Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels, Satan and his angels, when Jesus was born and had his earthly ministry and began to rule and dominate over Satan and Satan's kingdom, and then when he died on the cross and Satan bruised his heel and probably thought that he had won, and then Jesus was resurrected and he crushed Satan's head and then he ascended into heaven, those events have a spiritual parallel and it's this battle that's being described in heaven, a spiritual battle. And when, when Jesus defeated Satan through the resurrection, Satan is cast down to the earth. Now he's defeated but he's not done yet. He's angry, he's dangerous, and he has someone in his crosshairs. It's the rest of the woman's children, which is a description of who? Well, it's you and me. It's a description of the church. He has the church in his crosshairs. The end game is a rough game, and we are in it. One woman wrote into Reader's Digest, the day after the Haitian earthquake, I got a frantic call from my daughter in Florida. What's wrong, I asked. She said, Nick's been called up by the National Guard. He's going to Haiti. And then came the tears. She said, I didn't even know we were at war with Haiti. Well, we're not at war with Haiti. But what's worse than, than thinking you're at war when you're not is thinking you're not when you are. Now, I want to camp out here for just a minute because... Not necessarily in this group, but here is, here is a disillusionment that not a few Christians experience. And, and, and it's voiced, it's verbalized like this. Why, why is this happening to me? Or why is God doing this to me? Or why is God allowing this to happen to me? Or why is God doing that to her or allowing that to happen to her or to him? After all, I'm, I'm being a good Christian. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm finally, you know, obeying God's commandments and following the Lord, and nothing is working out for me. Everything is going wrong. Or they, they died. How could God allow that to happen? That was the best man I knew, or that was the best woman I knew. Is this how, how they get rewarded? And that's the wrong question. The right question is, why wouldn't this be happening to me? We are in a war. We are at war. The end game is a rough game. I wrote this out because I wanted to say it in a certain way, and I don't mean this to sound harsh, but we need to have a come-to-Jesus talk about expectations. What, what, are, what should be our expectations as disciples of Christ, as Christians? 
Does that mean that God is, when we follow Jesus and we're being faithful and obedient, that God is gonna smooth our way and everything's gonna fall into place and that's the evidence of our faithfulness? Our faithfulness to Jesus does not mean that Jesus is gonna make our lives problem-free. Our obedience to the commands of God does not mean that God will protect us from pain. Our generosity and sacrifice and giving to the church does not mean that God will bless us with material prosperity. Might, might not. Our devotion to Bible study, prayer, church attendance, service, or spiritual disciplines does not mean that you or your loved ones will be spared an untimely or painful death. Satan is going to use every weapon in his arsenal to get you to deny your love for God and your trust in Jesus because that's how he wins now. That's his end game. He knows where he's going to wind up, the lake of fire. He wants to now take as many of God's children with him as he can. And his arsenal includes false religion, false philosophy, pseudoscience, sickness, temptation, persecution, grief, and death. I'm not denying that God intervenes in answer to prayer and heals people and rescues people and delivers people. He certainly does, and we should certainly pray, but he doesn't do it every time. If we think that God somehow owes us a pass on trouble in this life because we are being especially faithful, then our disillusionment with God will be inevitable. Jesus did not promise us a trouble-free life. He promised us the exact opposite, did he not? John 16, who said, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus said that. Now, let me continue on here with the mother of all battles. I'm going to slip in in chapter 13 a little bit and identify two allies of the dragon. Ally number one, the sea beast. I'll call him the sea beast, the beast from the sea. Revelation 13, 1 and 7. Then I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, and the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. What's the sea beast? Or what's the identification here? Maybe we get a little hint from Isaiah, Isaiah 17, 12. Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. And many scholars believe, and I agree, that the beast from the sea represents nations and governments that persecute the church. National governmental persecution of the church. As my mentor said in Bible college, eventually all governments get around to persecuting the church including ours. And if you don't recognize the direction that our government's been taking, you haven't been paying attention to current events. There's a second beast. Let's call him the earth beast. Revelation 13, 11, then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. Now, just to describe the activities of this beast, I'll summarize for you. He performs many tricks and pseudo-miracles to deceive the nations, and he forces the inhabitants of the earth to worship the first beast. The scholars that I like and agree with identify this beast as false religion and false philosophies. And down throughout history, these two beasts have cooperated. National governmental persecution of the church and false religious philosophical person of the persecution of the church to wage war against God's holy people. Now, this was true in the apostles' day when John was writing this. You had official Roman government persecution of the church, and you also had false religion in the form of the emperor cult 
among others, where you had to worship Caesar as Lord, these two cooperating and waging war against God's people. But it's been true in nearly every generation of the church throughout what I would call the millennium since then. Now, one more identification here. And I'm slipping on up into Revelation chapter 20 and verse 7. The brief loosing of Satan. The brief loosing of Satan. When the thousand years came to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. So if you were here last Sunday, I identified the millennium, as I said, the thousand-year reign as the reign of Christ in our hearts. He's reigning right now. It's not a literal thousand years, just a long period of time. If, if I'm right about that, it's been going on for about 2,000 years now. Satan is restricted in some ways by Jesus and by the Gospels. But what we're, what's communicated here is at the end of that long period of time, there's a brief period, at least it's brief compared to the millennium, where Satan, these restrictions are somewhat released. He's let off his leash, so to speak, the loosing of Satan. And this occurs right before the imminent return of Jesus. What are the characteristics of this loosing? There are three. Number one, you have a time of increased falsehood and deception, the battle for our minds. Number two, you have a time of increased wickedness and evil, the battle for our wills. And number three, you have a time of increased persecution, which can manifest itself in a battle for our lives. Question then. So we know we're in the last days. We've been in the last days since the first century. From what Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost, said these are the last days. We're in the last days, but we're kind of talking about the last of the last days now. Are we in the last of the last days? Are we right now in that period of time where Satan is off the leash, so to speak, right before the imminent return of Jesus? Well, let's look at those three characteristics. Let me read this to you very briefly. Number, number one, in terms of falsehood, in the 19th and 20th century, false religions and philosophies include communism, evolutionism, materialism, cults, liberal theology, Humanism, existentialism, occultism, relativism, and postmodernism. Islam has replaced communism as the most militant opponent of Christianity. Theologian Jack Cottrell writes this about this end time. This end time will be heralded more by what is happening in university classrooms, the communications media, and even religious assemblies than by the developments in the Middle East. Hear that, graduates, students, university students? More by what's happening in the classroom. All right, what, in term, what about in terms of wickedness? So in terms of uh, falsehood, yeah, Satan looks to be off the leash. In terms of wickedness, we have open rebellion against authority, public display and shameless approval of sin in the media, especially television, government-supported abortion, internet pornography, the acceptance of immodesty and nudity, the LGBTQ movements, and a general hedonistic mentality. Yeah, Satan appears to be off the leash in terms of wickedness. What about in terms of persecution? The voice of the martyrs documents severe persecution in over 50 countries. We've had 100,000 Christian martyrs in the last decade, more martyrs in the last two centuries than in all the centuries before that. Attacks upon Christianity occur on a widespread basis by communistic regimes, fundamentalist Islamic governments, and Hindus in India. Candace Bergen, not the actress, is a member of the Conservative Party of Canada as opposition house leader. After the Easter bombings in Sri Lanka, she spoke in Parliament. Here's what she said, quote, 
once again, the world has witnessed horrific attacks against Christians because of their faith. Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. They are targeted by Islamic extremists in countries like Pakistan, Iran, and Nigeria, and by communist regimes in China and North Korea. Here in the West, we see a subtle persecution. For example, if you're a Christian in the West and you believe in the creation or teaching to the Bible, be prepared to be mocked and ridiculed by many, including some of your own political leaders. If you have social beliefs based on your Christian convictions, you might be denied government funding or a government job. So, Steve, are you saying that you believe we're in the last of the last days, that this is that time of the, uh, the, the release of Satan, Satan's off his leash? Perhaps, perhaps not. You say, Steve, what are you running for, a political office or something? What a cop-out. Well, let me introduce you to this term, deliberate ambiguity. Deliberate ambiguity. I am in the camp of those who believe that these types of descriptions are written with enough ambiguity that just about any Christian living in just about any generation could, who's observing and paying attention could look around and find things that fit these predictions, including our own. Do I think it looks like Satan has been loosed at this time? Yes, I do. And I think it looked like that in the second century and in the seventh century and in the twelfth century. Because maybe God wants all of us of every generation to live as if Jesus is about to return. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day the Lord your God is coming. And finally, so we're in a battle. We're in the mother of all battles, but finally, and more important than the battle, is we have the mother of all victories. We have the mother of all victories. Revelation 12, 11. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not, that's him, the dragon. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. John 16, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. I read that before, but I didn't read the whole verse. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What is the Greek word for victory? Anybody know? Nikao. Let me tell you, and the one you may be familiar with, more familiar with, that's right, is uh, it's the name of an a international shoe company, Nike. The noun form, nikao, appears one time in the New Testament. The verb form appears 28 times. The verb form of Nike appears 17 times in Revelation alone. Because victory is a theme, if not the theme, of Revelation. One thing that God was communicating in this book to the persecuted Christians of the first century and the second, the seventh, and the 14th, and the 21st is regardless of what you see in your circumstances or the circumstances of the world, or if you feel like the dragon and beast one and beast two are all beating you down at the same time, regardless of that, we have won the victory as long as we persevere and we stay faithful. We have Nike, we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't give up and don't give in. Speaking of motherhood, I remember when our, both our children were born, but our firstborn was especially difficult. 
uh, 20 hours of labor followed by an emergency cesarean cesarean. He was nine pounds, three ounces. That's inconsiderate. <laughs> I mean, I remember the pain and the agony and the screaming, and, uh, and Tammy was having a tough time too. <laughs> but, but once he was born, it was all right. We forgot about that, all of that. At least I forgot about all of that. Jesus said in John 16, 21, a woman giving birth to a child is pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And he said that to the disciples. He said, you're going to have grief. It's going to be hard. But you persevere. You get to the other end of this thing, and you're going to be so glad you did because you've got the Nike. You've got the victory. It's going to be worth it. So hang in there and persevere. Just do it and persevere. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us this message through Revelation. I mean, you're not sugarcoating anything. The end game is a rough game. We're right in the middle of the mother of all battles. And so, yes, we're experiencing challenges and difficulties and obstacles. And just like James says, why are you surprised at that? And we're not. But we thank you for your encouragement that the spirit who is in us is greater than the spirit that is in the world, and through him we experience the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.